This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, this morning we are going to continue our series called Distinctives, looking at eight distinctive character traits of us both individually as followers of Christ and collectively as the body of Christ, as the church. And we began last week uh, looking at worshiping together, and we saw two reminders in that passage in Hebrews 10, a reminder of, of who it is that we are and a reminder of why it is that we gather together, right? Worshiping in God's presence, remembering his promises and loving his people. And then we ended by looking at some of our unique expressions of worship. This morning, we're gonna look at another distinctive of God's people, that of praying together. And when you read, uh, read through the book of Acts, as Luke tells the story of the early church growing and spreading from, from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria on to the ends of the earth, you read story after story of, of the church praying together. It, it begins saying that after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, this small group of men and women, they, they gathered together in a room where some of them were staying, and it says that all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And then when the time came to replace Judas with another one of the apostles, you know how they began the process? They began with prayer. And one of my favorite stories of the church praying together is here in Acts 4, the story that Megan just read for us this morning, a story that shows the church praying not as a last resort, only when they'd run out of ideas, but instead praying as a first response because we begin with prayer, don't we? We begin with prayer. As we look at the store, we're gonna see four, four things here. We're gonna see the reason why they gathered. We're gonna see how prayer was their first response. We're gonna see the request they made to God in prayer, and then we're gonna see the result of their prayer, how God responded to their prayer. And then we're gonna close by looking at some of our unique expressions of praying together. And so to begin to understand the reason why they were gathered to pray together, we need to rewind a little bit. And uh, if Acts were a television show, we're kind of jumping into the, the first season about uh, episode seven, if you will. And so if you remember back in the day, and by back in the day today, I mean like back before the days of streaming online and binging an entire season in one evening. Uh, and even before that, even before, remember, remember DVR when that was a cool thing? So we're going way back before then. So back in the day when the show would begin with this, this little summary of highlights of the past episodes, right? So that you could get caught up in case you'd missed an episode. Uh, you remember how, remember that show Lost, how we wasted nine years of our lives on that show? Do you remember the first three words every week? Previously on Lost, okay? And so previously on Acts, uh, Peter. Peter went and he preached his very first sermon. And it was, um, you don't need to amen this, just you can nod. It was way better than my first sermon. It was way better than my best sermon. Uh, you know how I know? Thousands were baptized on the spot and began following Jesus that day. And, and then what it says is people, they began meeting in each other's homes. They, they began sharing meals together and praying together and, and listening to the, the apostles share the, the words and way of, of Jesus. And then a few days later, Peter and John, they, they were at the temple for prayer and, and they came across this man who had never been able to walk and they healed him. They said to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that is exactly what happened. 
And so Peter, knowing he had a bit of a captive audience at this point, he, he goes and he preaches another sermon. Only this one didn't go as well as the last one. Uh, this one got him arrested and thrown in jail uh, rather than thousands saved. See, the Jewish leaders, they, knowing this movement, it was, it was growing and it was growing rapidly. And and crucifying their leader, their, their Messiah, right? It backfired on them. It, it only emboldened these former fishermen uh, to continue speaking. And, and so they warned Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter's like, yeah, no. Peter must've been from the Midwest. Yeah, no, that, that's not gonna happen. And Peter doubled down. He says, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. We can't help it. We can't stop ourselves from telling everybody. And so we're going to keep telling people, sorry, not sorry. And so they released Peter and John and they, and they took off running back to where their friends had gathered. And if you remember a little story from John chapter 20, I think it's safe to assume that the other apostle arrived there before Peter. Uh, John seems to think he was a pretty fast runner. He must have reached there first. And as they ran up the stairs into the room, like still out of breath uh, from, from running, they told them uh, about all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them that morning. And how do you think they responded to this? I mean, they, they could have panicked. Right? They, could have, uh, they could have turned on each other, thinking everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna be freaked out. They're, they're, they're gonna be watching us. For all we know, the room is bugged. For all we know, we got a, we got a mole, we got a spy in here. And it's easy in those moments to assume the worst of each other and start accusing each other because that's what we do when we're afraid. It would have been easy for this to begin dividing the group and killing the movement. They could have panicked or, or they could have been pragmatic. They could have trusted and, and turned to themselves to figure their own way forward, to figure their own way out of this. But they didn't do either. They, they didn't turn on each other and they didn't trust in themselves. No, it says when they heard of all that had happened, they, they turned to God, they trusted in God, lifting their many individual voices together to God, crying out to God with one united voice in prayer. Right, they responded with prayer. And their prayer, what we see here, served as a reminder. Served as a, a reminder, acknowledging God for who he is, reminded that God is their sovereign Lord, that that is who they prayed to. They acknowledged who God is and they praised God for all he had done. A reminder that God is the one who it says, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He made it all. And they knew this to be true because it is exactly what scripture says in Psalm 146. See, they weren't even praying their own words here. They were praying God's word. They were praying the Psalms, praying God's words as their own words, reminding them that, that, that God was not only sovereign over the act of creation, but remained sovereign even within creation. Because as they prayed this, this one line from this psalm, it, it brought the entirety of the psalm to mind. She's gonna get put away. I 
It brought the entire psalm to mind, knowing, knowing the lines that came before this line in the psalm. Reminding them not to put their trust in, in earthly princes, in those who would only rule for a bit of time, and not to put their trust in themselves, but in their, in their eternal Lord who will reign forever. It brought to mind the lines that came before and it brought to mind the lines that came after, reminding them that that God is faithful. The the psalm says, keeping faith forever. Reminding them that God is powerful. The psalm saying that God will execute justice for the oppressed and set the prisoner free. And reminding them that God is ever present with his people, lifting up those who are bowed down and loving the righteous. By praying, the psalm reminded them of this. And like the Psalms have always been the church's prayer book. If you read through the the book of of common prayer, it is filled with Psalms to be read aloud and prayed together by the church. And and praying the Psalms has always been a a spiritual rhythm of God's people. As Pastor Robin showed us back in February in his sermon on Psalm 4 and 5 and introducing us to the, the daily office and the practice of praying the Psalms. And in his book on prayer, the late pastor Tim Keller, he, he writes about three ways we can go about praying the Psalms. And the first simply is just to, to pray them verbatim, allowing the, the words of Scripture to become your own words. I mean, after all, many of the Psalms are David's own prayers written down, prayers that he himself lifted to God. And that's how, that's how we began our service today, with a call to worship, as we prayed a Psalm together. And so first is to pray in verbatim. The second is to sort of paraphrase and personalize the Psalms, adapting the the words and the context and the setting uh, into your own, so to speak. And then the third is more of a responsive uh, praying of the Psalms, allowing the Psalm to initiate your prayer and serving as as a launching pad into prayer. Because sometimes we need someone else's words to find our own words, don't we? Sometimes we don't know what to pray. And that's exactly what they were doing here. Using this line from Psalm 146 to initiate their prayer. And they they didn't stop there. They continued praying the Psalms, turning to Psalm 2, a a prayer whose words they acknowledged here were, were spoken by the Holy Spirit through their father, David, God's own servant, right? Written in this beautiful dance between the the human mind and the Holy Spirit. And look at what it says here in verse 25. It says, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And if we read, if we, if we go back and we read this psalm through a historical lens, we read it in the, the context of David and his day and his life, we see Israel at the time, they were expanding their borders. And they were surrounded by kings and other nations who were plotting against him. And, and David, as king, he felt the, the weight of that constant threat of attack. And so he comes to God, yelling to God, why? Like, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you stopping the spread of your kingdom? And yet, even within his frustration, he knew that they all plotted in vain. 
He knew they plotted in vain because they plotted against God's anointed king. He knew they plotted in vain because they plotted against a God who, Psalm 2 says, sits in the heavens and laughs, mocking his enemies, speaking to them with his wrath, it says, terrifying them in his fury. David knew that in the end, God wins. But then when we jump ahead a bit and we, we read the psalm with a Christological lens, we see how this psalm, it points beyond David and it points to Jesus as the greater David, the greater king, as God's anointed servant, God's anointed savior and Messiah. And so they go on praying in verse 27 and 28 saying, for truly in this city, there in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, just as David's enemies plotted against him in vain, so did Jesus' enemies. The, the, the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish pagan peoples, and, and the peoples, right, the people of Israel, they, they sought out and they, they arrested Jesus. But knowing they didn't have the authority to execute him, they took him to the kings and to the rulers who did. They took him to Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great who ruled over Galilee. They took him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect who ruled over Judea, and Pilate granted their request and he allowed Jesus to be executed. And as they prayed, they were reminded that every step was according to God's plan, that every action was guided by God's hand, that, that nothing took place out of God's sovereign control, everything happening the way in which he intended. But not only that, they were reminded that suffering is part of the plan. The cross wasn't God's backup plan. God didn't go up to the line of scrimmage and see a defense he didn't recognize and call an audible at the last second and change the play. No, the cross was always the plan. And so for us to follow Jesus is to pick up our cross each and every day as we follow him, following him on a path of suffering. And so in the midst of the fear and the danger and the uncertainty and the anxiety, they needed this reminder that nothing will stop God, that nothing will stand in the way of God, not their enemies and not their fear. And I think we need that same constant reminder, don't we? We need those reminders of God's promises, of, of who he is, of what he has done, and all that he has promised to do. And we're reminded of this as we join the early church in praying together, in praying the Psalms. And as they prayed, positioning themselves before God, opening themselves to God, praying God's word with an openness to the leading of God's spirit, as we say in our time of reflection every week, right? Surrendering to God and, and making room for God to move, opening to what he had in store for them. Then they began to make their requests known to God, petitioning God, asking him to do three things. And they're not the three things that I think we would expect them to make. They didn't treat God like a genie in a bottle that would just simply grant them three wishes. The first thing that they prayed for was they said, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. 
right? Look at, look at the threats that they are making against us. And despite facing opposition and, and persecution, rather than asking God to spare their lives and deliver them from their suffering, they prayed for their sovereign Lord, for the creator of the universe, to simply be present in their lives, to see their suffering, to know their fears and to hear their cries. And their second request was, grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Right? Despite being filled with fear and facing threats, rather than hiding from their fear, rather than being overcome by their fear, they prayed for the strength to face their fear. They prayed for the, the courage to remain faithful. They prayed for a supernatural, spirit-filled boldness to go out and to continue to point people to Jesus by loving them like Jesus knowing this may very well result in their arrest again and even in their own execution one day. They prayed for the boldness to put the good of others ahead of their own comfort and ahead of their own security, entrusting everything to God, knowing that if they remain faithful in planting the seed and if they remain faithful in, in watering and caring for that seed that had been planted, that God would give the growth. And their third request was for God to stretch out his hands to heal and for signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That they were praying for God's power to be made visible. They were praying for a reliance on God's power. They, they were praying for this, this kingdom that had, been, had come to be made visible, for the, his king to be known and for others to know that they are welcomed into that kingdom knowing that God, he not only spoke creation into existence by the power of his words, but he continues to display that power within creation. Their prayer was just as Jesus had taught them to pray, praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we rely on his power, not our own. Every... Um, Every Sunday morning, I read through a sermon. I'm currently reading through a collection of sermons by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in this morning's, Bonhoeffer writes that as long as people rely on themselves and try to live that way, that is still the old way, the same way as in the past. Only with God is there a new way, a new beginning. And we cannot command God to do anything. All we can do is pray. But we can pray only when we have realized that there is something we cannot do for ourselves and that we have reached our limit and that someone else must be the one to begin. I forgot to tell you, I got two books. It's a reliance on God's power, not our own. God not only heard their prayer, he, he answered their prayer. And Luke shows us God's response, the result of their prayer is God. He, he responded in three ways. Responding in ways that only God could displaying his power. And the first display of his power, his first response, the first result of their prayer, it says was shaking. The, sh the place where they gathered to pray was shaking, a, a sign that we see throughout the Old Testament scriptures of, of God's presence with his people, filling them with confidence. Or as the first Fourth century church father John Chrysostom writes, the place was shaken and that made them all the more unshaken. 
God responded by shaking, reminding them he was with them. And second, he responded not only by filling them with confidence, but filling them with the Spirit, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit who just days later on Pentecost had filled them. The, the presence of God not only with them, but now within them. And third, by the power of the Spirit within them, he enabled them to speak the word of God with boldness, filling them with the courage to face their fears, giving them the strength to faithfully follow the way of Jesus wherever he led. I think we have a lot that we can learn from the early church and the way that they prayed together, beginning with prayer, making prayer the first response, making prayer a defining mark of us both individually as followers of Christ and collectively as the body of Christ. I want, to share, I want to share with us some of the ways that we go about praying together, our unique expression of this distinctive, uh, praying together one-on-one, -on -one, uh, praying together in smaller groups, and then praying together when we gather together on Sunday morning. And, and so the easiest way for you to take a step in joining us in praying together is simply by sharing your prayer request at the end of the service when we take that moment to fill out the info card. And we set aside time in our service for those things that are important. And I think we'd all agree, prayer's pretty important, isn't it? And that's why we give you time every week so that as pastors and elders, we can be praying for you throughout the week. But not just that, another way we do this is, is simply by stopping and praying with others. I love, um, I love when after service, I see a couple of you somewhere off to the side just praying together. Sometimes it's two people that don't even know each other. They just know that something wasn't, something seemed off and how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Not if I can pray for you, but how can I pray for you? Living out that phrase that we have that goes something like this. Don't just say you'll pray, stop and pray. Right? Don't just say you'll pray, stop and pray. Meaning rather than telling someone, oh man, I'm, I'm gonna be praying for you. No, just stop right there. Stop whatever it is you're doing and in the moment, pray with them. 30 seconds, 60 seconds. And if you're not sure what to pray, know that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Right? Allow the Spirit to guide your prayer. And that's, that's how we end the pantry each month. Yesterday, we, we ended our time. I was actually taking cones down. I missed it. But the rest of the people, they ended their time uh, by taking these prayer requests that people share with us. Um, not everybody shares uh, but many do, and, and they break up and they, they pray for the people that have come through. They pray for our guests. One wanted prayer for health and strength and employment. Uh, one was asking prayer for their brother who was leaving for the army. Uh, I like this one. One was praying for the volunteers and their families and saying just thank you for your service. Uh, and then here's one. This one was praying for their sister who had been taken off life support the day before. And so... We were talking afterwards, like, these are in some sense a um, continuation of our church family, so to speak. The people who are inviting us into things in their life and allowing us to, to pray over them. Praying together. But we don't just pray in these one-on-one -on -one settings. We pray when we, in smaller groups, we pray in our small groups throughout the week. Right? opening our lives to one another so that we can pray for one another. Uh, on occasion, we've had some form of a prayer vigil 
Uh, the last one we did was um, after Ukraine was invaded, we, we had no idea what to do. We had, a, we had a, a variety show scheduled for that Friday night. And uh, we're like, it just didn't feel right in that moment to gather together to laugh. Um, but instead, we felt we should gather to pray. And so we held a prayer vigil that Friday night. And not knowing what else to do, that's, that's how we began. And then that led to financially supporting a couple of churches in Romania who were caring for refugees that were fleeing. But then we also, as we expand the circle, we pray together in so many ways when we gather together on a Sunday morning, don't we? Beginning, with our, uh, beginning our time together, not with a song, not with a call to worship, not in the lobby and not at 10 o'clock, but beginning in the lobby at 9.30 and beginning with prayer. We begin with prayer. And so the way it typically works is um, Jason will get us started with some reference to the, that morning's preaching passage, something that, that points us to God and reminds us of who God is. And then Michelle leads us in a, in a time of uh, guided silent prayer and praying over us. And then those that are gathered are then free to join in praying however they feel led, praying for our church and our community, praying for our service and those serving, praying for our guests and those who might be struggling. Some pray with their words. Others simply pray with their presence. But everyone who has gathered is praying together. Because as David Benner writes in his book, Opening to God, prayer is not simply words that we offer when we speak to God, but an opening of ourselves to God. And so I want to encourage you, as I did last week, I want you to begin thinking of our service time, as our service not starting at 10 o'clock. Think of it as starting at 9.30. Think of it as starting in the lobby. Think of our time together as starting with prayer. And know that when you come, you are praying with us. We're praying together, some praying with their words, some praying with their presence. And then we pray throughout our worship service. Our call to worship is, is a prayer, oftentimes praying a psalm. Uh, there'll be some sort of pastoral prayer before the sermon, praying for, uh, again, our community or our church. Uh, a few weeks ago, you remember, uh, in, in that time, we prayed for Katya, who had uh, left that week to check herself into rehab. And just to share a quick update, she texted us this week that, that things are going really well. She's going to be flying home on Thursday, and God willing, she's going to be sitting right there next Sunday back here with us. We want to spend some of that time kind of inviting you to join us as pastors and elders in, in praying for things. One of the things, um, y'all see like yellow buckets around the sanctuary some Sundays, like Sundays after it rains a lot. And you're like, huh, why do they have a bucket in the middle of the floor? Oh, it's filled with water. Maybe there's a, a leak. And our not so little leaky little roof, um, it needs some love. Uh, and not the cheap kind of love we've come to find out. And so as elders, we've been praying over this for a while, but we want to, you know, begin bringing you into praying over how we're going to go about uh, caring for that roof above our heads. And then we pray together at the end of the sermon in this guided time of reflection that we began last fall. And then, and then every so often, um, you think we're done and Pastor Rob's going to give the benediction, but then he says one more thing and we pray again. Last week, we prayed for Jay and Jacob in their last Sunday with us as uh, Jay uh, moved to be with his family in Florida and, and Jacob set off uh, for Central Illinois to go to ISU. 
Today, just to give you a little heads up, we got one more, one more thing. As we invite all of our uh, teachers, public school, private school, homeschool teachers and aides up front, as we pray for them as they begin their new year. So just a little heads up. If you have anything to do with the school and you're like, should I come up or not when Rob calls me up? Come up. We're going to pray for you. But I want us to be a church that prays together. I want us to be a church known for prayer. I want us to be a church shaped by prayer because that means we are a church shaped on dependence on God. And that means we need to be a church that begins with prayer. But imagine for a moment, imagine how that changes everything. Imagine how that changes everything we do. Imagine if before we ever took a step, before we ever offered a suggestion, searched for a solution, sent an email or scheduled a meeting or wondered what's next, we began with prayer. Imagine if whenever we gather together for whatever reason, whether it's to worship on Sunday in a small group throughout the week or or for a meetup on Saturday to play softball, we began with prayer. Imagine if we presented our entire lives to God both individually as followers of Christ and collectively as the body of Christ, positioning our lives before God, opening our lives to God, surrendering and yielding everything to God. I think our lives would start to look a lot more like what Paul actually means when he says to pray without ceasing. Imagine, as David Benner writes in his book, Opening to God, how different our life would be if moment by moment you were constantly open to God. Think of how much your experience of yourself, of others, and the world would change if you were continuously attuned to the loving presence of God and allowed the life of God to flow into and through you with each breath. Such a life would itself be prayer. For as we shall see, prayer is not simply words that we offer when we speak to God, but an opening of ourself to God. Most of us live most of our lives somewhere between the extremes of being completely close to God and completely open. This is why I speak of opening. Opening implies not just a position, but a direction. A direction of movement toward full openness. It recognizes that even for those of us who long to know deep communion and union with God, we are ambivalent about the vulnerability of the surrender that this involves. We're hesitant in our openness, aren't we? That's why we added a week to the series on vulnerability. We are hesitant in our openness, often taking a tentative step toward it and then quickly pulling back again. Let's not pull back today. Let's not take a tentative step, but a courageous step, and let's lean into what God might have for us. Taking that step of vulnerability and following after the early church of making room for God to move and to do whatever it is that he wants to. Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Amen? Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.